Welcome to Lasting Truth, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills in Banning, California, where Pastor Ryan Hussein teaches the entire Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, giving our listeners the opportunity of receiving the full counsel of God. Today our study is in the book of Acts, chapter 22. Here's Pastor Ryan. And Father, we come before you again this morning, grateful that you are our God and our Father. You're the one true living God who made heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts as we study your word this morning. We ask that you would open up our hearts and and give us, Lord, your humility. Remove from us any arrogance, any pride, any selfish ambition. Help us just to be open to what your Holy Spirit wants to say to us this morning. Speak to us. Change us for your glory. May it be all of you and none of me. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we say, Amen. Okay, so in our story this morning, as you know, Paul, the apostle, is in the thick of it. He is at the temple in Jerusalem, and he is in custody of the Romans. God had put it on his heart after his third missionary journey to go to the temple in Jerusalem to preach the gospel to his countrymen. Paul, being a Jew, wanted so desperately for his Jewish brethren to understand that Jesus of Nazareth is their Messiah. And so it was on his heart to preach the gospel there. And on his way to Jerusalem, the Lord was warning them in every town through people, prophesying, saying, trials and chains await you when you get there. But Paul wasn't moved by the threats of what may happen to him. He wasn't going to live in fear because his love for the Lord mattered most. Paul had such a love for Jesus Christ because Christ had saved him from his sins that he was willing to risk everything that he might get his, the message of the gospel to his countrymen. And so when he arrived, surely that's what happened. They saw him in the temple and the Jews who had come way down from Ephesus, man, way down from Asia. They saw Paul and they recognized him and stirred up the crowd and falsely accused Paul of, of trying to turn the people away from God and that he was speaking against the temple and of the law. They laid hold of him and they began to beat him and they would have torn him to pieces had not the Romans uh, stepped in and heard the ruckus and saved Paul. And the commander got a hold of him and Paul said to the commander as he was all beat down and, and being held by him, permit me to speak to them. He wanted to keep speaking to uh, his countrymen even though they wanted to beat him to death. The commander gave him permission and Paul began to preach to them his testimony. He told them that he was a Jew just like them zealous for God, just like them, and that he persecuted those who were of the way. He persecuted Christians, and that he even received letters from the high priest to go far to arrest them and drag them back to Jerusalem to punish them. And the people were silent, and they were attentive to what Paul was saying until he told them 
how Jesus saved him, first of all, saved him from being zealous for God in a wrong way, from Christ meeting him on that road to Damascus. And he told them how Jesus changed his life from that day forth, that Jesus was the son of God and that from that moment on he would serve the Lord. And he was blind and then received his sight three days later. And he thought God would use him with the Jews. So he went to Jerusalem and while he was in the temple, the Lord appeared to him in a trance and told him to go get out of there, that he would use him to go preach to the Gentiles. And they were silent and attentive until this point. And that's when uh, they heard the Gentiles, man, they weren't ready for that. They were stuck in their religious ways. They felt that salvation came through the keeping of the traditions of the fathers and the law. But no religiosity, no traditions, no religious rituals can save a person. Only faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Once they heard this, they began to cry out, Away with such a fellow from the earth. He's not fit to live. And so the commander grabbed him again because they were going to tear him to pieces. And the commander decided that he would have Paul scourged, examined under being whipped the same way our Lord was scourged with the cat of nine tails, to find out why the Jews were so upset with Paul. I'm going to find out how upset, why they're upset with you by beating you up. So it was a very unjust thing for the commander to do. And Paul, before they scourged him, told the centurion, is it lawful for you to scourge a Roman citizen and to bind him who's uncondemned? And the centurion right away told the commander, be careful what you do with this fellow for he is a Roman. And immediately the Roman commander feared for his own life because it was illegal in the Roman Empire for a Roman citizen to be bound and scourged that was uncondemned. And so he feared immediately. And that's where we're at in our story. We have a commander who's afraid for his own life, hoping that this does not get back to Rome. Verse 30 of the previous chapter says, The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So you see here the commander is acting rationally, really for the first time and justly for the first time. But it was the fear of his own life that he's behaving finally in a just way. If I don't deal with Paul, who's a Roman citizen, justly, it may come back to me. So how do we figure out whether, why they're upset with him? Let's bring them all together and just ask them why they're upset with him. And that's what he's doing. He's bringing the Sanhedrin, commanding the high priest in the Sanhedrin, which was the, the religious Jewish rulers, and set Paul before them. Prior to the commander knowing that Paul was a Roman citizen, he acted unjustly. Amen? We all can agree with that. And that is a picture of, the ultimate picture of partiality. It's to judge somebody on the basis of 
their place in society, on the basis of their appearance. And he had no problem unjustly scourging a stranger. But as soon as he found out he was a Roman, he treated him differently. And that's partiality. And I know we've been hitting on this the past few weeks, because throughout this, we see an unjust trial. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was tried in an unjust trial as well. And we're about to see that before the Sanhedrin, again, the Sanhedrin, the religious rulers, are going to act unjustly towards Paul again. And so if we see these lessons time and again, then we had better as a church, you know, heed what God is trying to say to our hearts. That we live in a time and in an age where we have to discern what is just and what is unjust. Because as we are in the last days and the Lord is tearing and he can come back at any moment, but we're going to see more and more injustice. And that's what the Lord said. He said, because of the lack of justice, the, the, the hearts of men will grow cold in the last days. And we're living at a time where, it, again, it's mob justice. It's media justice, it's political justice, and a lot of it is unjust. And we live in a world where everyone is moved by emotion rather than fact. And as Christians, we are not of this world. In fact, we are told to walk circumspectfully, not as fools, but wise, redeeming the time. Like knowing what time it is, as the kids say. You know what time it is? You know the times we're living in. It's a very corrupt and unjust world. We need to have discernment. We are encouraged in scripture to walk wisely with those who are on the outside. Meaning outside of the faith. Those who don't know Jesus. Those who don't walk with Jesus. Can't understand the true justice of the Lord. So we need to be careful. We need to have right judgment. We're going to see the Sanhedrin treat Paul unjustly here. We saw the Romans treat him unjustly. And our country is based on a Judeo-Christian foundation. So we get our way of, of laws from scripture, from the Old Testament, from various places. I have been blessed to go to the to the Capitol, the U.S. Capitol, and I've been in the, the House chamber, and I've also been in the Senate chamber. But in the House chamber, it's beautiful to Christians because there you see 23 marble relief portraits over the gallery doors of people throughout history who have contributed to establishing the principles that underlie the American law. And out of all of the various portraits, it's a side view of them. But from where the Speaker of the House stands, where the President stands, where the Vice President stands, there's one portrait in front of them that they see face to face, and it's not a side one, and it's Moses. So as a Christian, you're just like, oh my goodness, how we have strayed. We need to ask God for help, guys, to discern and to judge rightly. Not by emotions, not by feelings, not by what the masses are saying or the media or politicians. But what does God say? God says so much about judging correctly. And I've, and I've hit on this, but may I say it again? There's always two sides to every story. Amen? That's biblical. 
Bible says that the first one to plead their case seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Oh man, I thought, no, there's two sides to every story. Amen. Doesn't God say, do not judge the poor differently than the rich? Doesn't he say that? He says so much. Don't show partiality in judgment, the Lord says. Do not, do not, do not judge everybody the same. He says in scripture, you know, that the parents are not liable for the sins of the children and that the children are not liable for the sins of the parents. Each person should carry their own guilt for their own sins. In other words, you don't judge everyone by a few bad apples. These are biblical principles. In America, we're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. That's a Judeo-Christian law. Even in Rome, you're innocent until proven guilty. The law says let everything be established by two or three witnesses. But it ain't happening for Paul. Because Paul is of God, and all the people we're reading about are not. They're in the world. Amen? In Psalm 82, if you can write it down, the Lord sa it says this concerning the Lord and justice. In Psalm 82, verses 1 through 5, it says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? And when he says that, when it says that he judges amongst, amongst the gods, that's a lowercase g, and it speaks of judges, like judges in our world, in our society. It says that he, God, judges among the gods. He judges the judges and says to them, how long will you judge unjustly? and show partiality to the wicked. Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. God is very observant of how judges judge. You can send this message to the Supreme Court. Proverbs 28, verse 5 says, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all. If we want to discern what's right or what's wrong in society, let us seek the Lord. I find it disappointing, disappointed and disappointing, and I get saddened when Christians presume to know what's right or wrong when you know by their lifestyle they're not, they're not the type to really seek the Lord. They're very carnal or not on fire for God. And they begin to judge things just like the world. There's no difference between them and the world in their judgment. We need to be on fire for the Lord. We need to seek the Lord because we can be deceived so easily. Satan is so subtle and he uses emotion and feelings and he uses the crowds. He uses music. He uses movies. He uses commercials. He uses everything to get at your emotions and mind. So we need to seek the Lord so that we can understand all. And we need to teach our children what it means to judge rightly as children. What is a, in these verses that I shared with you, and what God says, we need to teach these to our children so that they can judge rightly before the Lord. We need to teach our children what is the right way to judge. We need to teach our children to stand for justice. We need to teach our children to stand up to bullies, right? Bullying isn't cool. That's an unjust thing. But to use 
everything that our kids are experiencing to share with them what is right and what is wrong before God, what is equitable, what is legit, what is the right thing to do, why don't we steal, why don't we condemn, why do we love, why do we forgive, why are we merciful, why we don't put up with sin, why we don't put up with injustice in our home. We need to teach our children because God is watching the judges. Well, I'm not a judge, you might say. Well, if you're a mom and dad, you're a judge. Tell, I'll tell you that much. You're a judge. You're holding court and your kids are the subjects. And we as parents have to make sure that our, that our kids respect the law in our home, respect our parents or respect us, I mean. Right? Let your yes be yes and your no mean no. Parents who don't, you know, correct their kids and discipline their kids, the Bible says you don't love them. We must teach our kids, man, if you're disrespectful to mom, the law is going to smack you in the behind quick. That's the just thing to do. But there are many unjust parents who don't discipline their kids. That's, un that's injustice that God is watching. And I believe our prayers are hindered. I grew up in a home where there was not justice. And maybe in my midlife age, I have very little patience for injustice within a home. I think it's fitting for me as a pastor to not be able to bear too much when I hear about injustices within a home because I was raised in a home that had no justice. When you're unloved for no reason, because of sin, for no reason, I was abused by a stepfather that my mother never stopped, never helped me, never got me out of there because her concern was for herself. That is an unjust home. God bless her. May she come to know Jesus Christ. So God saves me and puts me in this position where I get to counsel families. Hey, make sure that your home, there's justice there. If the husband, the father is abusing the kids, mom, spouses, it's up to you to make sure justice hits your home while God is watching. Yeah, but I, I'll, you know, I have nowhere else to go. Oh, yes, you do. You're a follower of Christ. He will find a place for you to go. But you must leave if he does not repent for abusing the kids. Justice in our homes. Or vice versa. The, the mom's abusing the kids. And the husband's not checking that. It's the same thing. God watches how we judge. Amen? In Proverbs 31, verse 8, it says, Open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. What is God saying in that proverb? Open your mouth for, for the little one who can't speak for themselves, who's being abused, for anyone who is marginalized and being abused. Speak for them. Say something, the Lord would say. Speak up and stop it. In Proverbs 24, verse 11 through 12, it says, Deliver those who are drawn toward death. And hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely we did not know this. Does not he, God, right? He who weighs the heart consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? I mean, what does that say? Oh God, I didn't know there was injustice going on in my home. And the Lord would say, he who weighs the hearts, does he not see what you're doing? Man, our prayers will be hindered if we let injustice in our home. Our homes are a home of peace. Our home is a church of Jesus Christ. It's a mini church. For those who have non-believing spouses and they want to live with you in peace and they're not party animals and not corrupting the kids, 
Stay with them, Bible says. But if they're going to corrupt the kids, corrupt the house, the Bible gives way for separation. For we have not been called to bondage, but to peace. He didn't save me to live, I mean, to live in a home that there's no peace in, my goodness. He died to give me peace. I'm not going to live in. He hasn't saved you and I to live in a home that's hellish. Amen. Amen? That's why I love God. There's justice in him. There's justice in him. All the wrongs that were ever committed to us, he'll right them. It's not for you and I to go and be vengeful. He'll right them. He'll take care of you. He'll take care of me. He puts those who are in solitary in families. The Bible says, when your mother and your father forsake you, then I will be your help. He's a loving God. He's a good God. Then Paul, before the Sanhedrin, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth. Verse 1 is a beautiful verse. We'll start there. He says to them, what a statement it is, that he has lived in all good conscience before God until this day. That's how he starts off his defense. What are the crowds saying about him? The crowds are saying basically that this man is an evil man and he's turning people away from God. But he knows who he is in Christ. And though the crowds might be yelling away with this man, he's not fit to live on the earth. He is able to stand because of Jesus Christ and say, I have lived in all good conscience before God. Isn't that a beautiful, powerful statement of faith? That no matter what the world says of Christians, of the church, it's what, what matters is who we are in Christ. And more and more pastors are coming to the conclusion, and Christians alike, that, that society is going to come after Christians if the Lord tarries more and more. They're going to come after the churches. They, they already have, as you know, but it's going to get worse and worse should the Lord tarry. So we need to know who we are in Christ. We need to know that we can have a good conscience in all things, like Paul said concerning himself, that we too can have a good conscience in all things because that is what Jesus Christ gives us. His death on the cross, his blood, if we believe in him, it cleanses us of all of our inequity, of every nasty, wicked thing that we have ever done, liberating us, giving us freedom from a guilty conscience. That is the most miraculous thing. Not only are we cleansed, but he, cl he cleans the, the conscience. I know some of us struggle with our consciences. Many Christians do. Because the devil constantly accuses us. Day and night, the Bible says. And even our hearts. That's why the Bible says that if our hearts condemn us, he is greater than our hearts. But the reality is in his word. 
And when we feel self-condemned, when we feel condemned by the crowds, when we feel condemned by the devil, we simply go to his word. And what does it say in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9? It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Only Christ can do that. And he's speaking to religious men who were filthy because they had no faith in Christ. Ironically enough, he's speaking to the most supposed holiest religious people, and they're the ones in sin, and he's able to say, I'm the one with the clear conscience here before God. And we can say it with them, because religion and religious works can never give us a clean conscience. No good work, no good deed, no charitable thing you can do. You cannot crawl up and down the aisle before the cross. You cannot give your money away to the poor and gain a clean conscience. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ that can cleanse us from that. Thank you for joining us today at Lasting Truth Radio. If you're in the area, come out and join us for Sunday services at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. We are located at 3035 West Nicolette Street in Banning. You can also find us on YouTube or Instagram. If you would like to donate to our program, please do so on our website at ccsweethills.org and just hit the online giving tab. We hope you will continue to tune in as we journey through the entire Word of God with the teaching of Pastor Ryan Hussein at Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills. Chapman. Bye.